Welcome to our latest episode of the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. This is part two of our Untitled Investment Talk with the CEO of Blockpit, the leading provider in regtech and crypto techs in Europe. Florian Wimmer, great to have you here again on our talk. Great to be here again. We had a very intensive talk, I would say, and covered a lot of subjects regarding taxation of crypto assets, like how is it different if you're an individual versus a corporation, how it is different from country to country, Germany, Austria, similar. But you pointed very interesting peculiarities out for France, for UK. And I learned uh, that it's good to have a holiday home in, in Portugal. We talked about the difference between payment, utility and security tokens in terms of taxation and a couple of challenges uh, lying ahead here. Still, these were rather the, I would say, big topics in, in taxation. Today, we would like to dive deeper into special and what we would say very hot topics of crypto taxation. Let's start with the first one, which is related to DeFi, decentralized finance. We all know that the crypto ecosystem has evolved very strongly in the DeFi space within this year. We had an Ethereum bull run. We had new DeFi protocols coming up. We had big successes in Maker, Compound and Ave. We have, meanwhile, $15 billion total value locked in DeFi. We didn't only have like decentralized exchanges. We had this wave of interesting financial opportunities in borrowing and lending cryptos. So this can be done decentralized. This can also be done in a centralized way, such as Celsius Network and BlockFi are doing it for retail customers and Genesis Capital is doing this lending for institutional clients. But now again, the taxation question comes in. So what we would like to know from you, is there a clear guidance from tax authorities for retail investors and corporates that use these products for generating income? Is all solved or are there open questions, especially with respect to lending and borrowing of crypto? And for the sake of time, let's focus here on, on Germany and Austria. All right. Yeah, first of all, I'm a big fan of DeFi myself. It's revolutionary. It, it's something that's, that, that's absolutely insane. So, of course, I've had a really detailed look uh, into it from the, the perspective of BlockBit. For our users, we have a lot of users using those services. And to answer uh, your question, maybe in one sentence, there is clear tax regulation on how to handle these things. Because it's not something like, really new in, in the sense of a financial trading instrument, like lending, borrowing, those things that we know them from traditional finance, right? The real big new thing about DeFi is that you can just combine all of those things into one transaction and, and just execute within a second uh, and do all those things simultaneously. And that's also what it comes down to uh, when you're talking about DeFi. You really have to break down those transactions into their little parts that we know from traditional finance. 
So uh, I mean that the hottest topic uh, 2020 yield farming, right? You're just arbitraging between different providers in the DeFi space and people making hundreds of uh, thousands of, of, of dollars in one transaction, which is, I don't know how many lines of code already borrowing at the one exchange, trading it into a stable coin, arbitraging between stable coins, then landing with a leverage and stuff like that. And actually everything happens in one block, right? But from a tech perspective, you have really have to break this down. And the big challenge that you have here is to, to get the data out of the smart contracts and bring it into a readable form for your accountant and for the financial ministry. So this is the, the biggest challenge in when it comes to taxes in DeFi, but it's also the, the, the biggest innovation because we have this open blockchain now. It's transparent. Everybody can participate. Everybody can read this out. It is code that we can interpret. So once we have the algorithm and we're going to check the smart contract, we can basically do the tax reporting in real time. Uh, so this is this is next gen, right? If you're really going to, we're going to go decentralized, you could automate the whole tax reporting process. You wouldn't even need to wait one year and report your taxes after one year like we are used to do. Nothing stops you from actually paying your taxes as you're doing the transaction. I think we are still way ahead of that to be possible, but it is something that's in, in theory definitely doable and, and in my view has to come in the future because it's just like so much more efficient. Let me ask you a very specific question here. Assume you do DeFi lending and or any other kind of crypto lending and you use Bitcoin as collateral. When you put it into the pool and during it stays in this pool, liquidity pool, the Bitcoin experience a price change. There's nothing to do with whatever you're yield farming. It, it's just about the Bitcoin or whatever you use as a collateral. This price difference, how is it treated from a tax perspective? Well, this is a heavily discussed topic and there's actually no clear answer to that yet. I mean, literature is kind of going uh, in, in one direction of interpreting this. So when it comes to lending, the core question that you have to ask, is it actually capital commitment in the way that we know it from traditional markets? So I'm giving someone capital and they're investing this capital and I'm getting interest, right? So they, they, they can actually freely use the capital in whatever way they like. So this is the classical capital commitment and it's always fiat currency. So we only know this in fiat currency and we know it with a counterparty that then invests those money and do something with the money and gives me interest for it. So we don't have this scenario here anymore. We don't have a real counterparty because it's it's just it's just code. It's a smart contract, right? And the second thing is the, the, the definition of capital. Is, is a Bitcoin now capital in the sense of capital commitment as we know it? Uh, and this is heavily discussed and me and a lot of other experts in, in the field uh, actually say it's not, right? So it's more of a private lending, not capital commitment, but it's like, just like giving out a, a loan and, and getting something back with it. So if it would be capital commitment in the sense in Austria, Germany, it actually would kill your uh, one-year holding period. The financial ministry states that uh, once you basically give away your crypto for interest, then this uh, holding period of between tax-free raises to 10 years, which is pretty crazy uh, if you think of it from a technical perspective, because I'm, I'm having two Bitcoin, I'm giving one away in a lending pool, I'm, I'm getting my interest out, and then I'm just withdrawing my collateral on the wallet where I sent it, and then I have, I have two Bitcoin on the wallet, and one of them is, is not capital uh, gains, and the other one is... And then I'm sending away something from the wallet. Which one is it, right? I can't really mix those anymore. It's like 
impossible to to trace and to calculate. So this is one of the big reasons why we say it's not capital commitment because you can just can't do it. So if you say it's not capital commitment, it's just like a, a private loan, then the price difference, as long as you have the Bitcoin as collateral in there, is basically irrelevant as long as you don't realize those gains. So as long as it's in the collateral, it's just like as if you would be holding it on another wallet of yours, right? And you can move between wallets. It's not a taxable event. As long as the wallets belong to you, it's not a realization. And if you withdraw your collateral after one year, let's say, and then sell it, it's actually tax-free. So this one-year um, period on, on the Bitcoin is kind of stay intact. And everything that you get from income from those lending, like be it a liquidity pool and you're getting a, a share of the fees, so the lending income is actually not capital gains. It's income tax uh, taxable at the moment of claim. So if you're accumulating this and you don't claim it, it's not taxable until the moment you claim it and it actually can use it freely as you want. And, and at that point, it's just from the daily average price, it's taxable as income tax. And then the one year period starts and then you're back again in the profit uh, loss through value change where after one year it's tax free. And if you... Uh, realize it in in one year you are in income tax again so here we are pretty sure that it is uh, not capital commitment but when we come to the centralized players it depends what they are doing with it so now we have the counterparty right uh, we still have this uh, discussion about is it capital or is it not capital in, in the sense of capital commitment but we have the classical field of counterparty so here you can argue a little bit more that it's actually uh, capital gains but also depending again what the counterpart is doing. If it's a staking for you, if it's like, let's say Tezos, yeah, right? You have the baker and they can only stake it. So they can't really freely use their capital as they want. They have to have one certain thing that they have to do with it. And, and you, you basically have still control over this, right? So it's not capital commitment in that sense. So here it is again. But there are also those lending providers where they just like kind of give you a fixed amount of interest. Like say Kraken is doing a lot of this. You don't really know what they're doing in the background. They call it staking, but actually it's just lending. They are probably, I don't know in how, in how, in which way that they are investing your money or your coins. There it's pretty much clear that it is capital commitment in that sense. You can still argue it's not uh, fiat and therefore it's not capital. It's a private loan again. It's hard there, but in the DeFi space, it, it's pretty clear that it's not capital commitment and it's not capital gains, but you're actually in a speculation and you don't lose the holding period. I think it's a quite complex uh, subject, but you gave us uh, a very clear guidance on this. And this is us. I'm not alone here. I'm uh, with my esteemed uh, co-founder, uh, Simon, and, and co-host. Uh, Simon will now take over. And you already mentioned the topic of staking. I think Simon will dive a little bit deeper into this. Gladly. I mean, what's, of course, making all the headlines right now is not just YFI and, uh, let's say, alternative DeFi space or like DeFi tokens. But of course, Ethereum, the main technology, the world computer, the virtual machine is moving towards proof of stake. And so far we are approaching almost 1 billion US dollars staked on Ethereum in the launchpad, which is of course crazy numbers thinking back only a couple of years. That's like back then it was a big question if Ethereum would ever be have a market cap worth 1 billion. Now it's just... 1 billion USD almost is staked already for ETH 2.0. Of course, this is kind of a fixed income opportunity. We see um, very large returns. And as you mentioned, exchanges like Kraken are already offering you to stake your Ethereum uh, with Kraken. And of course, then also make it convenient to borrow against your staked Ethereum. And they just take a cut of 
the returns, which are still very high, of course, compared to traditional finance. Like today, we're talking about about 13% uh, annually, which is, of course, crazy compared to nothing you get on traditional bonds or fixed income products. Maybe give us an overview of how you would uh, describe this return, this service income. Is the staked ETH subject to capital gains? How are we dealing with this topic of ETH 2.0? Yeah, I think I already like uh, answered this a little bit in, in the first question. ETH is uh, ETH 2.0 is, is definitely an interesting topic. Um, I mean, we are we ourselves at Blockpit spared 32 Ethereum to become an official validator. Of course, we are running the full nodes for the tech software, so we had to do this as well. The interesting thing about this in comparison to other staking is probably that your funds are locked for an unknown amount of time. You don't know when it's going to go live. You don't know when you can withdraw actually anymore. And in the time, uh, you get around like 5 to 6%, but it is like annual uh, return on your ETH. You are able to swap your ETH 1.02 is 2.0 at any time. That's also going to be very interesting from a tax perspective, especially if they have different valuations. So I, I would classify it definitely not as capital gains since we are here again having no counterparty. We are not having capital in the sense that it is. So staking is is, is very similar to lending when it it, it, it comes to, to, to smart contracts, right? So the counterpart is not there. So it's, it's pretty clear that it's going to be not affected once you stake it, as long as it's going to lie there and as long as you're not realizing anything, you're, you're not going to be taxable. And, and since you actually can't withdraw your interest on Ethereum 2.0, you can't realize even if you wanted to. Maybe you can sell your, your private key huh, and realize that way. And then you would, of course, have to tax it probably at, at the amount of the daily value. But as long as it's staked and, and it's locked, there are no taxes that can be realized in Ethereum 2.0 right now. No, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, you're already helping us removing a lot of that uncertainty around these new financial instruments, around different forms of crypto. But if we go into something that already exists in traditional financial markets, like traditional derivatives, options, certificates, we would assume that regulation is quite clear, as you've already touched upon. And now, let's take the example of the most traded uh, product right now, which is uh, Bitcoin options futures. How are they treated in Germany, Austria, with regards to capital gains and for individuals? Do we have, yeah, the Abgeltungssteuer is applied? And I think you already answered most of this, but does it differ between the collateral, if the collateral is fired or if the collateral is Bitcoin? Because, I mean, this is different on some exchanges. And does this have any influence on it? It does, yeah. So with a classical futures contract, you are automatically in the capital gains. So there is no way that it's income gain. So you're using a financial instrument, which is known for years. So as soon as you're going into futures, you're in capital gains. And as soon as uh, you get your Bitcoin into that contract, you're going to have a realization on the Bitcoin. So if you're holding a Bitcoin for less than one year and you bought it cheaper, it went up and now you're putting it into a futures contract at that moment where you put it in, at some point it is converted into fiat, right? Uh, you have then have your collateral in there in fiat. Then of course, definitely it's a realization uh, as you're swapping it. But also if you're putting it into that futures contract and it has been Bitcoin before and it's now Bitcoin in the futures contract, uh, you are having a realization at that moment where you put it in. So. Uh, now you're in capital gains. The thing that's here still heavily discounted is once you close the contract, is this Bitcoin now marked as a capital gain Bitcoin? And 
whatever I do in the future is it's capital gains income. We would say it's not. So once you get a Bitcoin out of, of, of the futures contract and you then get a value increase or deficit, you're back into speculative gains. But everything you get while in the contract and also profit that you get at the end of the contract or, or losses that you take at the end of, co- of the contract, you're in capital gains there. And you can only calculate those losses, profits with losses, profits in the t- same tax category. So if you would, would make some loss on normal spot trading in Bitcoin and then you make gains uh, in capital in futures, then you cannot actually you know, add those up or, or subtract them, but you have to stay in the category. So this is something uh, that's very interesting because you can probably get the same outcome from a purely economical perspective if you're betting on uh, a long or short on the Bitcoin price or if you're actually holding Bitcoin, but the tax treatment is totally different. So in the capital gains uh, tax, you're in Germany, it's 25%. In Austria, it's 27.5%. And the very interesting thing is you're going to put it in the pool of traditional stocks, traditional shares that you have maybe on a classical security depot on a bank. And you can calculate losses and profits through that pool, which normally you can't do with crypto. But if you're using futures, you're getting into the, let's say, old world of financial instruments, getting the exact same outcome from an economic perspective but a different outcome from a tax perspective yeah that's interesting Uh, can i just jump in what you are saying here florian this is valid for germany and austria is it valid for all other eu countries as well no it's definitely different i mean we are the only countries actually differentiating between capital gains and income tax in most countries it's just capital gains tax uh, also in the EU, there is just this one category. France, for example, they have uh, everything that's related to crypto. They have to fix the 90%. They have their own tax category for crypto. And in most other countries, UK as well, there is, it's just capital gains. So we are really, really the only ones that somehow have income tax involved into crypto, which uh, I already said in the last episode, makes no sense to me. We have to bring this all into one pool of taxable assets. Uh, it's the only thing that's logical. So this problematic thing that you have, and uh, which might actually bring you to open up a corporation and trade in there because then you can put it all in the same pool in the same tax category is only Austria and Germany. Yeah, once again, extremely interesting, especially the fact that we are kind of in a bubble regulatory-wise, let's say, from the rest of Europe and maybe even the rest of the world. So as we are talking about things that kind of have a counterpart in the traditional world of finance, so contracts for difference and futures, One thing that is uh, crypto innovation is perpetual futures, which is uh, a sort of future that isn't fixed to a certain date, but it's being rolled over every four hours. And uh, basically, if you buy a perpetual future, let's say on Bitcoin USD, and you want to just keep it for a very long time and sell it at any point, you can. It doesn't have a, a fixed expiry date. It's being rolled over every four hours and you pay a fee, a very small fee, to the other side, basically, depending on if the long side or the short side is stronger right now, you either pay fees to the other side or you receive fees from the other side for making sure that the, the price of the future stays in the realistic and proper area. Now, these futures can be very highly leveraged. Like on Kraken is offering up to 50x. I think Binance is offering even 100x on Bitcoin trading. These are the by far most popular product in the crypto futures trading world. So the margin provided for these is always crypto. If you want to do Bitcoin USD, you need Bitcoin. If you want ETH USD, you need ETH. 
And the gains also paid out in crypto. And the holding wallets are all crypto. So are these treated the same way tax-wise as traditional futures with an expiry date in Bitcoin? Or is there a difference? Um, what's your opinion on that, Florian? Yeah, you chose a really uh, special topic. This is, this is one of the probably broadest range of interpretation that you can do. I mean, I'm no tax advisor, so everything I'm here to say, I'm, I'm a software developer, right? But what we are doing is, is just interpretation of what's currently there re regulation-wise in crypto. Uh, of course, we're working with a big four tax advisors there and checking all that. But it's, it's basically the job of a tax advisor is to interpret it in the most optimized way that's still legally valid and then get the financial ministry to accept that declaration, right? But you have a lot of playing field when it comes to perpetual futures. Because you could say that every time this thing gets renewed, automatically you have a realization of gains. I would probably say it's not the, the case. And since it basically has no end date, when you really see it the most tax optimized way, you could say that the Bitcoins that you have in there as a collateral, if you let it run for one year and, and then you get it back out, it's actually tax-free, right? Even though you are in capital gains tax when it comes to the profits losses that you made from that. And you definitely also in capital gains profit or loss uh, when it comes to those fees that are paid. So everything that's generated in this financial instrument falls in the same tax category. But once you close it and you take the collateral back out, you could argue that it is now tax-free when you had the futures contract uh, open for more than one year, which could make sense. We don't know if it's accepted. I mean, there's so many different financial, I mean, like every, every city has their own financial ministry. So one could accept it, the other one could not accept it. And as long as there is no case where they don't accept it and the one who brought it in says, oh, I'm going to go to court, right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge this. And then it, it goes to court. And then we have a decision in court. Once that happens, then it's clear, right? Then interpretation is gone. Uh, this happened for a few things uh, in Germany this year. Really interesting. For example, a big discussion topic was the separation of different accounts. So before a court decision, you were able to argument that all my different wallets, exchanges and stuff is just treated at one big account. And I'm doing first in, first out calculation over that big account. And if I'm selling my Bitcoin and Binance, I can actually from a tax perspective, be selling something that lies on Bitpanda, right? Uh, which is not really technically possible, but you could calculate it. Someone actually brought it to court and the court decided that this is not possible right? because it's technically just not possible. So you have to separate those accounts and you can only sell the coins that are actually lying on that account. And, and it's the same for this futures. So huge amount of interpretation freedom until there's a court decision. And what we are doing with the software is, uh, and also in cooperation with our tax partners, is to get the, the most optimized way of interpretation for our clients out there in the software. And of course, once there is a decision, we have to adapt it uh, to whatever is the outcome of that. But this is something that's going to be interesting for the next years. There are going to be a lot of those cases. If, if there's anyone out there listening, uh, having such a case and is ready to go to court, please contact me. Uh, we would like to... <laughs> to to support this, to get more clarity into all of the regulation that we're having right now. And Perpetual Futures is definitely one where I see this coming quite soon, that we're going to get a decision in this space. So definitely going to be interesting. That was an interesting answer. I think maybe the most difficult question uh, we asked you in, in part one and part two of the last uh, yeah. talk. But definitely, thanks for sharing your insights. I think that's very valuable for us and for our listeners. Let's maybe return to a, I would say, more clear field in terms of tax guidance. Let's go back to the either the issuance of cryptocurrencies or a situation where you're a startup 
and you want to pay third-party providers in the native tokens of your company instead of fiat money. That happens, I think, often at a time when either the price is not 100% clear, the token price fluctuates heavily, we have no secondary market. So that's very difficult to do the, the price uh, determination or price finding uh, exercise. But anyhow, the third party who did the work for the startup still has to prepare the text papers. Can you let us know how this is treated? Yeah, so this is a topic that's really interesting also for us uh, at our company because we thought about, you know, there's this, especially in the startup world, uh, a very common topic of giving out phantom shares or, or, or some exit participation to your employees. Getting that into a token would be amazing, especially in the crypto space. Also paying uh, out some bonuses in, in token or something like this, or actually like paying our service providers. And here again, it depends on the underlying asset. So let's, for simplicity reasons, let's say, okay, it's, it's Bitcoin is our native token, right? Or or, or not, not, let's take Bitpanda. Bitpanda has native token, the best ecosystem token, right? They actually use it to pay service providers. They, they use it for different reward shows, ruffles and stuff like this. Uh, and it's just like at each time that you're doing something like this, you have to take the underlying fiat value and treat it like as if it would be fiat. So you basically treat it like as if you would sell it for fiat, transfer the fiat and then swap it back. Uh, so so it has the same implications uh, as it, it has uh, when you're doing it with fiat. So if you're paying out bonuses to your employees, you have additional tax on that for both sides, which you have to pay in fiat. You can't pay it in the token, which can be a problem is there if there is no liquidity on the token. So if, if it's actually like a startup and you're giving out tokens uh, to your employees as a bonus and they have to tax them, but they can't sell them because there is no liquidity on, on that, you have a problem, right? Even Especially if it's like, like a company like share related and, and the valuation is really high, like 50, let's say 50,000 euros valuation in, in phantom shares, it's, it's a common topic. But once you give them out they're taxable right <laughs> but you can't sell them because there's no liquidity so this is also a topic where we i think uh, especially when it comes to security tokens the liquidity issue is going to be a big part in austria there's actually some progress from the side of, of the government they, they are planning to introduce a new form of cooperation they so-called Austria Limited, which should make it easier for those employee participation programs to implement them. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work, but it's probably going to make it a lot easier also when you're doing it as a token. So this is going to be interesting definitely for startups in the futures to use this form of, of cooperation in Austria. If you're paying, let's say, a, a service provider in your token, we are back at the liquidity problem. So you have uh, VAT on it, so 19% in Germany, which you then have to pay and you are not going to be able to pay it in token. So as long as you can't realize the token, you're going to have to get back to your other cash reserves, which might not be very attractive for your service provider in, in that case. So it comes down to the liquidity. It's basically treated the same way as if you would do it in fiat, uh, just as the valuation of the counterpart like if you have a service provider he is going to give you service that's value x and you're going to give him token amount x then the, the token value is basically being calculated from the invoice that you're getting if you're paying it in token okay so it, it all drills down to the pricing or valuation of the token in the end and otherwise the regular tax regime is, is applied i think it's still a challenge but good that you gave us clearance on this. And I think we are now approaching the end of our talk here. 
And at the end, we always have our famous golden question. I mean, we talked about EU-wide crypto regulation, and, and you said there are different tax regimes in Europe. Now let's turn this around. When would you expect, or would you expect anytime soon, an EU-wide crypto tax regime that is harmonized across all member states and would be comprehensive enough to cover all major financial instruments and maybe also these uh, perpetual futures or these very unique financial products uh, which are out there in crypto? Yeah, one can dream, right? No, I think that's not going to happen. So maybe maybe get a little back. So if the EU brings out a new regulation, you have to differentiate between a directive and a regulation. So in, in the topic of anti-money laundering, there was the AML 5.0 directive, which is something that the EU sets in stone and then all the member states have up to two years or something or a certain deadline to implement it in their country state And they can shape it a little bit. I mean, the basic is, is, is the same, but you can shape it a little bit in your member state. This took us two years in the EML regulation. 10th of January this year was a deadline for member states to implement it. Now we are getting into the, the, the whole MICA. So the MICA regulation, which is, is supposed to come out next year, which is a regulation. So once the EU sets this in stone, it automatically is valid for all countries. There is no interpretation of freedom and no extended deadline to implement it. So... When it comes to tax, it's definitely a little bit different than AML. Tax is, is very, very country-specific. Rates are different. The whole system of, of how taxes are used in the countries is different. Healthcare, whatever, right? So it's really hard to bring it to an EU-wide standard. You can lie the basic framework of, for example, token classification. You could say that this token is a security in all EU states, right? That is something that you can make. But how it is taxed then in the countries it's going to be individual again. So when it comes to taxes, I'm pretty sure like 99% that we are not going to see a unified, harmonized uh, regulation. I hope we can see a good basis for countries to make a tax regulation on the assets. Austria, for example, is, is kind of looking at Germany most of the time. So if, if Germany is implementing something, then Austria is going to implement it a few years later. Slovenia is looking at Austria and Germany. And then a few years later, they're adapting it. France is doing their own stuff and they're going to continue doing their own stuff. So no, I, I don't see this coming. I definitely see it becoming easier. There's it's going to be a, a little harmonization, but definitely not all the way. So there will always be kind of arbitrage or opportunities like they are existing in, in classical text. Okay, cool. Great, Florian. Thanks a lot for your time, the time you spent with us here and, and all the insights on crypto taxation you shared and that were really deep insights. We are absolutely grateful for having you on the show here. Uh, for our listeners, nothing here is tax advice. As uh, Florian said, anything we do here is no investment advice also from our side. You have to make up your mind by yourself. We hope you enjoyed the show the same as we enjoyed it. And hopefully you are better prepared for your uh, upcoming tax declaration. Thanks for listening and stay tuned and loyal to Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets.